Welcome to the Stony Brook Crossroads Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doyle DeGraw. For more information about this podcast, our community, and other resources, please visit CrossroadsChurchSB.com. BJ and I also have started a podcast called uh, Led to Lead. And uh, what our intention is, is to talk together about leadership. It's kind of like the old guy and the young guy talking about leadership together. And each of the podcasts are about four to seven minutes. And so uh, we just, uh, VJ just launched the introduction to our podcast yesterday. So it's called Led to Lead. If you uh, look it up, you can subscribe to it. And uh, we've already recorded several podcasts ahead of time. So we're kind of excited about this. So each of the podcasts would be about four to seven minutes. It's not a lengthy thing to listen to. But we just talk together about different uh, aspects of leadership. And I think there's application in every area that all of us are involved in. Our, our families, church life, work, work life, school life, whatever. So hopefully you'll check that out. And um, the other thing I wanted to mention... Before I forget, let's see. Oh, so today I'm gonna, we're going to finish the book of James. All right, believe it or not, we're going to finish the book of James. And starting next week, I'm very excited about the fact that we're going to start a series from the book of Philippians. So uh, does anybody know how many chapters Philippians has? Right, it has four chapters, four pretty short chapters. And I'll say more about this, but one of the things I love about the book of Philippians in particular, Philippians and Colossians, there's such a deep affection that Paul illustrates towards the people that he mentions in those books. And for me, one of the things about those books that is so significant is that you remember Paul was not a Christian. He didn't grow up as a Christian. He, he was killing Christians. And so he gets radically converted and his whole circle of friends changes. And he, he's now relating to a whole different group of people. And so when he writes Philippians or he sends the letter of Philippians from jail where he's at, um, he's talking about people he's only been around for a, a short number of years. And he has this deep, deep affection for them. And I feel like that here. Uh, you know, Kathy and I, this summer, we celebrated being here for seven years. And so our relationships with many of you are basically about six and a half years or less. I think one of the first persons I, I met was, was Bob and then Anna. And it's really been only the last six and a half years that we have a relationship. And it's, but the relationships that we have with all of you in so many ways, it's like we've been, we've been walking together all of our life as, we, as we've shared our stories together. And it's amazing what God does through the Holy Spirit to, to deposit a, an affection for, for one another in the midst of walking together. And uh, there's just so much that we benefit from in our relationships to each other. And so um, we'll catch that in Philippians and several other great themes so I encourage you, you know, it takes about 15 to 20 minutes at the most to read the book of Philippians through. It's a short letter, four chapters, not real long chapters. 
And the passage I read this morning for prayer is Philippians chapter 2, one of the greatest passages of Scripture. And so uh, I just encourage you to read ahead, start reading it, because we'll take some time over the next several weeks with it. And then I had something else I was going to read here. I had some, uh, since we're talking about the men's retreat, I had some advice for married men this morning. Um, Here it is. This is a, a quote from someone that says, Everything you say can and will be used against you, quote unquote, should be included in marriage vows. Everything you say can and will be used against you should be included in marriage vows. So that's a good one. If anybody would like a copy of that, men, uh, that, w- that might be worth your while. So, uh, All right. So I've got, uh, I, I want to get through the end of James chapter 5. I've got a handout to give you uh, somewhere in the middle of the message. But if you look at James 5, verse 13, we'll start there. We're going to go to James 5, 13, and then also go to a passage in Luke chapter 8. So we'll have that up here in just a minute. There we go. Is anyone among you suffering? Everybody raises their hands. Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Hopefully everyone raises their hands. Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Everyone raises their hands because we all have something going on. Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, It didn't rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. One of the things that Jesus told us about in terms of our spiritual journey, was that the enemy of our spiritual lives, the enemy of our lives, just in general, wants to rob, he wants to steal, and he wants to destroy everything about us as individuals and everything about us in terms of our relationships to God and our relationships to each other. He wants to rob and steal and destroy And what I want to talk to you about this morning is the fact that we should have a holy desperation to counter his efforts to rob, steal, and destroy things from us and from each other. And that's what's captured in this last passage, this last section of James, is this holy desperation that says, if if I'm suffering, I'm desperate to pray and find an answer and comfort from God in the midst of suffering. If I'm sick, I'm desperate to call for the elders of the church to get anointed with oil to to pray the prayer of faith and be healed. If someone is wandering away from the faith, and it's a brother or sister that I know, I am desperate to go after them and pull them back. 
so that they experience the mercy of God once again in their lives. There should be this holy desperation. So I was thinking there's just this perfect example. It's a familiar story, but I want to read the story for us again this morning. It's Luke chapter 8, verses 43 to 48. There was a woman... There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I, per- per- for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that he- she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him declared, and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace." Now we know in that story there's a couple of things that are very important. There's a crowd of people around Jesus. And she desperately fights through the crowd with every ounce of strength that she has left from having a sickness for a long period of time. She is at the end of her rope and she's desperate for an answer. And somewhere she had heard that this rabbi could possibly heal her if if only she just even touched him. Now we realize that Probably what she touched was, as a rabbi, he would have worn a, a, a prayer shawl uh, and had tassels hanging down from uh, his, his, his uh, garments. And those tassels, healing wings, so to speak, bless you, by the way, healing wings, so to speak, are the things that she reached out to, for to grab a hold of and to touch. And she touched him enough that somehow or another he felt or perceived power leaving him, or he had to know something different had occurred because everyone was jostling around him to the point that the disciples couldn't figure out how he could possibly, how they could possibly figure out who it was. But this woman had a holy desperation. And it's kind of like what we can get from this passage in James this morning is in a way we're giving each other permission to push each other out of the way and saying, no, 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 I need His presence more than you do. Now, we have to keep that balanced with the fact that we need to think of one another carefully, but in the midst of it, there should be this holy desperation that says, I need to grab a hold of what He has for me. And so with that story as a backdrop, we look at this passage in James and I want to highlight just a few things through each of the verses. James closes this book the same way he opened it. In James chapter 1, verse 5, he said, If any of you lacks wisdom, pray. Ask God, and He will give generously to anyone and everyone without reproach, without punishment. He will give you answers to your prayers. He extends this message in James chapter 2, verse 8, when he says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, which is the picture in this passage of a lost brother or sister 
out there and we, we join together to go in desperation to bring them back home. And so there is a release of life that's communicated in this passage. A release of life that we should all be desperate for because the enemy of our life that wants to rob and steal and destroy is only going to be affected to the extent that people that represent the church community, that represent the family, that represent the body of Christ, in holy desperation, look to release life in one another. And so look with me again, and Emily, if we could put the passage back up on the screen, or look in your Bibles in verse 13. And if is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. If is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. And another word for praise is sing psalms. And so the first thing I want to say is we release life through prayer and praise. We got to do a little bit of it this morning, both in our worship and our expression of praise, in our prayers together as we pray for each other. There's a famous book, probably one of the fam- most famous books about significance, written by Viktor Frankl, called Man's Search for Meaning, wrote about this kind of, these questions that James talks about when he said this, in response to what we as humans can do in any situation. The one thing you can't take away from me is the way I choose to respond to what you do to me. The last of one's freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. So in other words, if I'm suffering, if I'm going through difficulties and through life's trials, I don't have to become a victim of those, those experiences, that suffering I'm going through. I don't have to uh, succumb to the pressure of it all. I can make a choice. And the choice I can make is to shift from prayer and, and praying and praying until I find myself in a place where I can praise. It's countering the attempts of the enemy to bring us down by expressing worship to Him. Richard Wormbrand, who wrote a book called Tortured for Christ because he was placed in the gulag as a Christian, put in prison for a number of years for trying to pass Bibles out and so on, and uh, experiencing all those things in communist Russia many years ago. In solitary confinement, he said, we could not pray as before. We were unimaginably hungry. We'd been drugged until we acted like idiots. We were weak as skeletons. The Lord's Prayer was much too long for us. We could not concentrate enough to say it. My only prayer repeated again and again was, Jesus, I love You. Jesus, I love You. And then one day, I got the answer from Jesus. You love Me? Now I will show you how I love You. At once, I felt a flame in my heart which burned like the streams of the sun into my soul. The disciples on the way to Emmaus said that their hearts burned when Jesus spoke to them. So it was with me. I knew the love of the One who gave His life on the cross for us all. I read that, that quotation and I thought, man, if if Richard Wormbrand could find that sense of answer to prayer and relationship to God and experience of His presence while suffering in a prison cell, I sure can do it in Long Island. 
I sure can do it in Stony Brook. I sure can do it in the midst of the circumstances that I go through, like Leighton says sometimes, our first world problems. I was reading this week after the hurricane went through, I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, is it Abeco? Abaco? Abaco? Bahamas? I read this week that some are saying that they'll never, ever be able to restore that area. There are people that are suffering beyond our imagination. And somehow or another, everyone, our Father, we need, they need Him to minister to them in the midst of deep, deep suffering. And that's the gist of this passage. Because when James is writing these words, he knows he's got brothers and sisters in Christ that are actually being tortured and martyred as he writes. And he writes with this encouragement. If anyone's suffering, let him pray. Every moment of our life generates a thirst for prayer. Every moment of our life. And then James talks about praise. If anyone, if anyone is happy, then let everybody know you're happy by celebrating with praise. The word for praise is actually a reference to the Psalms. And it, it has behind it the picture of the meaning of kind of playing the harp, or in our time, playing the guitar. It's, it's plucking the strings of your heart and, and getting, getting those things out that express exuberance and joy in the midst of difficulty and in the midst of suffering. And there's really just a few reasons that keep us from doing that. When we're in a difficult place or when we are finding ourselves beginning to celebrate, sometimes we hold back. Sometimes we hold back because of ignorance. Sometimes we hold back because of arrogance and just pride because we are afraid someone might look at us and see us. And sometimes we just hold back because of shame because we think that we're not worthy enough. And again, all of those things represent a trick of the enemy to rob and steal and destroy what God wants to give us in our holy desperation. Let me remind you of a couple of things that were said in other books written by Paul. Ephesians chapter 5. Just listen to the words. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So we release life through prayer for one another, and through praise, it's loud enough for other people to hear it. We release life, in verse 14, we release life through vulnerability in God's presence. How is it expressed as vulnerability? Verse 14, is any one of you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him or her 
anointing him with oil, him or her with oil in the name of the Lord. How many of you know that sometimes it's a little bit humbling? It takes vulnerability to go up to someone and say, I'm, I'm really sick. I'm desperate. I'm like the woman, you know, that's been sick for a long time and I need prayer. Especially if we've asked for prayer more than once for the same thing. And there's a vulnerability that I think James captures here because if he's, you know, why does he have to say if any one of you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church? I think because just like we are, they had to be reminded that if they're sick, there's, there's a process, there's a provision for finding anointing and healing that can come that's available to them. And so I think it's good for us to be reminded of that today. We should never be too proud or too afraid or unwilling to be vulnerable enough to say, hey, I need prayer because I'm, I'm, I'm suffering with, with illness and problems and I need others to pray for me, whether it's others or the elders of the church. And the picture of anointing, anointing with oil. What's oil the symbol of in the New Testament or in the Bible for that matter? The Holy Spirit. And so the picture is, what I'm doing is releasing life through vulnerability, my vulnerability, that says I need help. And then what happens through this anointing is the release of God's presence. The Holy Spirit resting on someone. That's why oftentimes I find myself when I'm praying for someone that comes and they need prayer for healing, you'll hear me pray, Lord, I pray that you would touch so-and-so from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. Because I figure somewhere between the head and the feet, whatever is going on is going to get touched. But there may be other things going on that are the roots of it. You know, there's some of us, I mean, I know of, of someone here, without naming who it is, that, that spent many, many days and many conversations with doctors who were trying to figure out what the source of their illness was to the point that there was a diagnosis and a plan to do something that was going to be totally wrong and completely miss what needed to happen in order for this pers person to experience healing. And so when we pray for one another, we pray for a release of the anointing of the Holy Spirit and God's presence from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. So any, any area of their life that needs healing can be healed. Verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up, which is the releasing of life through the restoration of body and soul. The Scripture says, or, the, or James says, the Lord will raise him up, and everyone, including the elders, are, are totally dependent. If I call on the elders of the church to pray for me, to anoint me with oil, they are totally dependent on God showing up. And sometimes that's a pretty humbling experience. To say, you know, Lord, we don't know what to do here, and if you don't show up, we are in a big heap of trouble. 
And whether it's the elders of the church, whether it's any one of us, we need to have life released through restoration of body and soul. And that's God's intention. The prayer of faith will raise us up and cleanse us of sins and things that have kept us back from the kind of connection that we need to have with God and with others. It's a picture, James is describing a picture of bringing back together or integrating, making whole, something that's been totally disintegrated. Now I know that, you know, the report is that that area of the Bahamas will never be restored. But what if it could? What if, I guess the question is, do we know if God could do that or not? Could God completely resurrect what happened as a result of the hurricane? And we, we, we know the answer is yes, but it's an issue of faith. And that's the same for anything in our life that gets disintegrated. But what James is saying, that which is disintegrated comes back together through the prayer of faith. Now, one of the things that we teach our kids, you know how kids like to constantly interrupt? Mom, 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 dad, dad. And, you know, if they've interrupted with a false alarm enough times, what happens to mom and dad with those interruptions? What do you do as a mom and dad if you get interrupted too many times with false alarms? You get tired of the interruptions, right? And then you tend to ignore the interruptions. But what happens if the interruption this time is not a false alarm? You know, someone just fell off an eight-foot ladder. Mom, 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 leave me alone, leave me alone. Mom, mom, you don't understand. So-and-so, and I won't name any names. <laughs> So-and-so just fell off an eight-foot ladder. Ah, uh, whatever. But think about it, because we experience that in the natural. We kind of do that with God, don't we? We kind of think, eh, maybe I've interrupted Him one too many times with the same old thing. So I have a question, because the reality is, do, does God relate to us the way we do as parents sometimes, where we get tired of the interrupting? Never. I mean, that's what the Scriptures say. I was reading an article, or Kathy reminded me of an article this week called Interrupted Healing, and I just want to read something from it. <clears throat> the author says, We are trained from an early age not to interrupt. How many times have we been told by our mom and dad, When I am talking with someone, do not interrupt. This translates into our relationship with God. Stop pestering, stopping to pester God with our needs becomes a big no-no. Do you realize how many times healings happen because of Jesus being interrupted? Read Luke 8 with the sick woman. Jesus was on His way when she interrupted Him. Read Luke 17 with the ten lepers. Jesus was on His way when they interrupted Him. Read Mark 10 with blind Bartimaeus. Jesus was leaving the city when He interrupted Him. Read Mark 2 about the friends crashing through the roof and interrupting Jesus as He was teaching. These are specific examples of healing. And there are many more examples of, miraculous coming, of the miraculous coming after Jesus was interrupted. Interrupted sleep turned into a display of His power over nature. 
His teaching was interrupted by a demonic display. He is interrupted at a wedding by his mother to mitigate a social disaster because they ran out of wine. Interruptions never stopped Jesus from acting. We recently finished the Alpha course at our church. One of, the, one of the sessions is on the topic, Does God Heal Today? John Wimber is quoted in this session saying, When we prayed for no one, you know what the next part is? No one got healed. This is the James 4 principle and 5 of not he- having because of not asking God. We can choose not to interrupt God and see nothing happen or interrupt Him and see what happens. So I'm just saying to all of us, let's give each other permission to interrupt God. You know, if someone comes to you and says, yeah, I'm just dealing with stuff, have you interrupted God? Have you pestered God enough? Have you knocked on the door again? Have you asked Him again? You know, if you haven't done it, let me help you. Help, I'm going to help you interrupt God. Because our God is faithful. And our God is not like we are, where we get tired of interruptions. He asks us to be vulnerable and come to Him. The next thing is releasing life through reconciliation and persevering prayer. Verse 16, confess to one another your sins and pray for each other. Verses 17 and 18, he talks about Elijah was a man with a nature like ours who prayed fervently. Confession, confession is a way to improve fellowship. If there is broken relationship between any of us, It's a problem if we are not desperate to take care of that brokenness. If we we have let ourselves become apathetic and are not willing to confess our sins to one another, we've got ourselves in a serious state of affairs. We need to be people in our relationships to each other, in our relationships in our marriages, in our families. We need to be people that our model of life is to keep a very short account in terms of conflict. We should not let time go by without making sure that we confess our sins to one another and find ways to take care of resentments and issues that require um, forgiveness, unresolved anger and guilt and different things. And James uses three examples Old Testament examples of prayer in his book. In his letter, he talked about the faith of Abraham and Raham, the perseverance found in Job, and now the effective prayer displayed by Elijah. Here's the thing that the Scripture says will stop prayer. Well, let me ask you a question. You tell me. This is not a rhetorical question. What's the one thing that Jesus said will stop our prayers? Remember what it is? If we have unforgiveness in our hearts, He will not hear our prayers. We need to be desperate to make sure our relationships with one another stay clear. Why? Because there will be a ceiling on our prayers if there is brokenness in our relationships. So we release life through reconciliation and persevering prayer that considers the importance of clear relationships with each other. And then finally, we release life by applying mercy over judgment. Verses 19 and 20. 
If we could bring that up, I want to read that again. My brothers and sisters, if any, of, if any one of you among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Please notice the last phrase. Cover a multitude of sins. Let's admit it, everybody. When we watch somebody that we know, especially someone that's a, be- a believer, make dumb decisions and make foolish choices and get themselves in trouble spiritually, physically, emotionally, and otherwise, let's just be honest. What tends to go off in our spirit in terms of trying to deal with that person? Especially we've had, if we've had to help them more than once. What? No compassion. Not only no compassion, not forgiveness, apathy, and besides that, a critical spirit that says, you know what? They deserve what they get. That's called punishment. And that goes back to a passage in the middle of James 2, verse 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, I realize that doesn't mean that we're just turning our eyes, turning away, and pretending like that person did not sin. They need to clean up their mess. There needs to be repentance. There needs to be boundaries set. Things need to be taken care of. But it's the responsibility of God to bring His judgment on their lives. And it's our responsibility to bring His mercy when someone is already dealing with stuff that's caused them to wander away, they don't need our punishment. They need mercy. And so we're given the opportunity to release life by applying mercy over judgment. And so we get the chance to restore wandering believers. And Luke 15, you know what that story is? That chapter is about? That chapter is about the lost coin and the lost sheep. And most importantly, the story of the prodigal son who comes home and the father runs to him with mercy and love instead of punishment. And that's what James is trying to communicate. A message that applies to all of us. This message of release is something that applies to every one of us And James only gives us a few examples of when to pray, but usually in his usual to-the-point sort of way, he echoes Paul's command to pray without ceasing. And the the entire message of James that we've looked at over the last several weeks is about integration and it's about wholeness. It's about, uh, it's, it's fitting that the letter of James comes to a close with empathy. Because James is the brother of Jesus. And he watched Jesus go to the cross and, and extend, extend to all of us the greatest act of mercy. Every one of us deserved to have Jesus say, you deserve what you get. But instead, Jesus puts His arms on the cross and He says, I want to give you mercy in place of judgment. And James gets that message across. 
Now, I have one last thing that I want to refer to, but I do want to make sure and get this to you just for your own study, so maybe if a couple of you could help hand these out. Just keep, keep one. This handout that you can take and use to help you with further study, one of the things that I mentioned many, many times is that James is reflecting what he learned from his brother Jesus. And this handout goes through the different lessons in the book of James that are referred to in James, but are all reflections are shadowed by the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So it's a fascinating study to go back and read the Sermon on the Mount and then go back and read James and see how much James was affected by his brother Jesus. Now, the last thing I'd like to do is I'd like to ask you to stand. And what I said this morning at the beginning of this message, and as you stand, I just want to remind you of what it is. The passage... This last passage in James is about desperation for life and seeing people released from the results of the fall and the strategies of the enemy. But it always starts with us. It always starts with us having a heart cry that's desperate for more of God. That's desperate for Him to give us a quenching, outpouring of His of His Spirit, the rivers of living water to quench the thirst that's in our heart for a better relationship to Him and a better relationship to one another in any area that the enemy has tried to interfere. So I'd like you to close your eyes and I just want to read as a prayer. As you listen to these words, I'd like this to be a prayer from Psalm 63. O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon You in the sanctuary, beholding Your power and glory. Because Your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise You. So I will bless You as long as I live. In Your name, I will lift up my hands. So I'd like you to do that with your eyes closed so no one is embarrassed. Let me read verse 4 again. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Keep your hands lifted. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And so, Lord, as our hands are lifted to you, 
We are desperate that you would release your life into us and through us. And that we could take these hands that are extended to you and we would be able to hand them to others to release your life through us to quench the thirst in our brothers and sisters, in our co-workers, in people that in our neighborhoods, and people that are so desperate for help. And we've got the help they need right in our hands. So as you fill us up, help us to be used to fill up the life of others as well. In Jesus' name, amen.